You are now listening to the High Def Performance Podcast, hosted by Mitch Harb and Zach Smith. You know, whatever suits your audience, so let's nice. jump in. Great. Let's roll. All right. We got Dr. Mark Bubbs here, naturopathic doctor, consultant, performance nutritionist for Canada Basketball and Altis. How's it going? It's going all right, man. It's going all right. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. As we talked about right before we jumped on. In this post-COVID world. All the way from London. So uh, you're well, are you typically out in London or are you out in Canada most of the time working with the basketball team? Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. I'm kind of splitting my time. Uh, my wife's British, so over here quite a bit okay. and, and back over in Canada as well. So nice. obviously this year, Olympics, uh, you know, 2020, we had big plans, but I guess it'll be 2021. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So right off the bat, man, why don't you just let everyone know kind of what your day to day is like? Like, what do you do? What is the nutrition lead for for Canada basketball and, and Altus? What does that entail? Yeah, I mean, I work as a performance nutritionist and so consulting with the general population right as well as athletes so whether i'm working with canada basketball it goes all the way from our olympic team right down to our 13 year olds so when we start them out you know that's that's the ideal it's probably like you know it's like strength training or physiotherapy you know if you get things Mm -hmm. if you lay the foundation at a young age then all of a sudden the things you're trying to fix when they're 18 19 20 21 a lot easier so that's that's been a really nice um, part of our plan of trying to really build that out and then, you know, from there, consult with a variety of different groups and been consulting with, with Altus and with a selection of different sports. And so it's always interesting to see what different, um, you know, what different sports entail in terms of physical demands and, and competition and, and scheduling and those types of things. And, and then of course, work with general population too, you know, guys and gals trying to lose some weight or improve their blood sugars or, you know, reverse high blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, I think I've become really interested as a as a, a physiotherapist um, in, you know, the world of functional medicine, naturopathy, because like that's becoming a lot more popular, especially out here on the West Coast of the United States, where we're located at. A lot more people are looking uh, away from uh, medical or like medications and surgical options, and they're going more towards towards these kind of paths. And I was kind of interested in you know, your book, cause you chose sleep microbiome and blood sugar as the top, uh, foundation of your book. Talk us through why you picked those three as, as opposed to other things, um, to look at as the foundation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, when we talk about viewing things holistically, I think it's really a mindset more than having a specific, you know, title or designation. And I think we see that now in, in, in fitness, but also in elite sport of people having this holistic mindset of how can we, especially in elite sport, when you think of certain skill-based sports like professional basketball or soccer, as they call it over here, football, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have athletes who are elite. And so just the fact that if they are fatigued, tired, run down, catching frequent colds and flus, just simply missing training sessions, that in and of itself is a a performance problem. Mm -hmm. So it starts to change the nature of you know, we're so used to saying, well, performance is putting 10 or 15 pounds on a guy to add muscle to play in the mm-hmm. NHL or the NFL. That may be the case. I mean, those scenarios also have other other aspects to them as well. But there, it gets it gets a little bit more nuanced when we look at a lot of the skill-based sports because, again, you know, if you're six foot eight and you've got a 44-inch vertical leap and you can run like the wind, then 
you got a pretty good chance of, of making it to a really high level, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we then start to construct the diet? What's the performance diet for that athlete, especially when they're younger? You know, is it giving them beta alanine as a supplement that's really the thing that's going to move the needle? Maybe in certain situations it is, but if the rest of the foundation, similar to movement, I mean, if the movement quality isn't good, then how are you then going to start to load, you know, various movements, et cetera? So, you know, that's where, you know, coming back to some of those principles around, you know, what creates health and, and to circle back to your question, I mean, this is where, you know, sleep's fundamental. I mean, this is where, you know, I've got, you know, three little kids at home and it's amazing mm-hmm. how you start, you, you stop sleeping and all of a sudden, you know, the trickle down effects, the feedback loops, all of a sudden, you know, you look at the research glucose response to the same breakfast you always eat, all of a sudden that's worse. Yeah. Right? Inflammation goes up, the mindset, you know, negative thinking starts to increase, all these things start to trickle down. And so sleep's an obvious one. I think digestion, well, from there, I mean, blood glucose is such a key component to to health. I mean, we look at all these, if we think about longevity, and we look at the conditions that we succumb from, right? If you want to live a long time or even, you know, increase the healthy years that you live. So those last 10 or 15 aren't spent in such disability and pain and, you know, having to be cared for, yep. you know, you see cardiovascular disease, you see cancers, you see type two diabetes, you see dementias. I mean, all these things have a common root. Um, and that's the glucose control or lack of. And so that becomes a pillar and I think one of the things that I find interesting in my clients, I'm sure you guys see as well, is that a lot of our, you know, recreational elite athletes, we'll call them, you know, we tend to use this, this word athlete and just plug it on to different individuals. But, you know, even a marathoner who's elite as a recreational, you know, they're running 16, 17 kilometers an hour. And then the pros come up and that's what they warm up at. You know, it's, it's yeah, a yeah. totally different, it's a totally different deal. So you know, you see with a lot of the, the research, especially with the use of continuous glucose monitors, you know, yeah. we're seeing more people now with these glucose levels that are running, you know, four to 10. And one of the studies that I talked about in the book, 70% of the week, they're in, you know, their glucose levels are above six and in international units. So it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are we, why are we putting so much fuel in? Like, we know carbohydrates are king on race day. We know we're going to fuel a certain way to win the race, but now we're seeing like we're fueling throughout the week and if we have clients who are pushing like you know performance goals but they also have a day job and they they want to you know be healthy then we have to start to ask ourselves well you know are we missing something here because if your glucose levels are always that high or inflammation is always that high then there might you know maybe it's not always nutrition but there's something going on in some of those big rocks and so that was another you know big part of the puzzle and digestion i find is a fascinating one because it's there's so much interest is even in uh, you start talking about functional medicine or naturopathic medicine is sort of a almost want to call it an over interest in the gut, you know, like the answer to every question is the gut biome. Um, And so it becomes interesting in this kind of chicken and egg sense of, you know, are these things actually causing the issues or is it just the mere fact of, you know, the individual's uh, constitution is creating this, this, this balance of bacteria. And so I found that fascinating because the gut is one where, Again, I'm sure you guys see this a lot. You don't really think about it until you have, let's say you go traveling and you get a, a GI bug. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you drop 10 or 15 pounds in five days and you you just can't even move. Yeah. And now we, okay, we see how tightly tied the immune system is into the gut. And then also just how we feel on a day-to-day basis. You know, you, clients are trying to gain size. If you get gas and bloating, discomfort. Um And so that's, you know, a bit like the engine. It's, it's, if it's not running well, it can start to derail athletes. And it's, 
earlier in my career, that was always the questions that would come up of an athlete is doing well, but they're experiencing this kind of digestive thing and, you know, people couldn't, you know, f- find a solution. And so oftentimes that would be where they, you know, I would come in to try to help out. And so, yeah, you know, those were, there's obviously more, but in terms of trying to find three pieces of the puzzle, that I thought fit pretty nicely together. Then those were, uh, those were the three. Yeah. Well, and, and that leads to my next question because that's what I've seen is, you know, it seemed like to prioritize performance most of the time it was like, yeah, your stomach's going to be all messed up because you're having to in, ingest so much carbohydrate and things like that. So how does, how does someone build the the athlete microbiome like you called it? And, and how do you restore the gut while, while still being able to prioritize performance? I mean, it's a, it's a great question. It's one that, you know, when we talk about whether it's a complex, like all the chronic diseases are complex conditions, right? We want to, we're so great at acute medicine. You know, this is the disease you have. This is the surgery you need. You just got hit by a car. This is what we need to do that, you know, for the last three decades, we've been trying to apply the same thing to chronic conditions. And, you know, it's amazing how bad we are at it, right? I mean, 450 million people around the world have type 2 diabetes and we know what we need to do. We just can't get anybody to do it. Um, and so when we look at the gut, it's it's so context-driven. You know, in terms of elite endurance, you can train the gut. You can just pump loads of simple sugars down and really train your gut to be able to cope with this really high amounts of, of simple sugars, and, and that will lead to performance outcomes. And that's what how a lot of elite athletes do it. Um, but as I mentioned in the book, you have other – you know, sports scientists. And that was a big part of the book was trying to connect people, a lot of these scientists on the front lines who are not the ones who have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, but they're the ones who are actually doing these interventions with the athletes and, you know, prof Paul Larson, you know, using more strategies around, well, how can we start to fuel away from these intense boats or training boats with less carbohydrate? Can we still get the same effect? You know, cause we've been told, well, if your glucose levels fall when you're cycling below, you know, again, the international units will say four millimole, then all of a sudden you're going to struggle. And well, you know, certain individuals have 3.2, 3.4, and they feel great and they're putting out great power numbers. And so that idea that we can, you know, we don't, there, there's more nuance to this topic. And the fact that at the highest level, they would see a lot of endurance athletes, particularly because, you know, with endurance, you're kind of really treading that fine line just to the nature of the amount of volume and that the athletes have to compete at. And so you just, the level of, you know, physical breakdown, uh, mental breakdown, biochemical breakdown in terms of the numbers are seeing, reflecting this idea that something's not right in the training plan, but also there's something going on in the fueling that's not, you know, that's not ideal. And again, not trying to, even in the book, not trying to answer the question, but to say that, hey, we got these, these two different ways of thinking about this. And depending on the athletes that's in front of you, you know, you need to figure out the best approach because... Again, are you going for an Olympic medal? Well, maybe just putting in as much carbohydrate as you can is the way for you to get there. But if your client is, you know, an elite recreational, are you now pushing glucose levels, you know, far too high? Are you are you causing inflammation? Is it leading to issues around sleep? And now all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. Is it worth it? What are we doing this for? And is it actually oftentimes with those clients, you start to see that glucose is actually doing this all day long. And now there's all sorts of snacking and, and issues with concentration. And so I think that's where a lot of, you know, whether it's a strength coach, a trainer, a nutritionist would sort of do their instinct would tell them something's not right here, even though, you know, from a textbook standpoint, that person might be following 
well, these are the reg these are the rules for carbohydrate intake for an endurance athlete, right? Yeah. And that's a really interesting point because we we primarily work with right now uh like uh football players, American football players, nice. where it's not really weight restricted, and those guys are basically trying to keep their weight up. So they're eating literally anything they can, and most of those guys are choosing choosing carbohydrate sources so that's a pretty interesting thing that you know you don't really think about in athletes because you're like oh you're like a you're like a ferrari you're burning all that but really like that it would make sense that you are actually creating spikes and you know we work out of a crossfit gym where there's power lifters and often people are eating uh sour patch kids or candy like during their workouts to try to keep their carbohydrate load high which is but, you know hey, if you're gonna eat them that's not a bad time to do it <laughs> yeah exactly but i'm sure that spills over into other areas of their life so that kind of leads great into the next question as well is what's the impact on on blood sugar levels on on the performance and longevity because you talked about how it does impact people long term as well can you go through some of that and then i'm, I'm also curious to know are you using a continuous blood glucose monitor on your athletes at some point to to see what they are reacting to or not reacting to? Well, I mean, it's an interesting point around you know football. I know, being from Canada, football players we think of American football. Yeah. Um, you know, even a lot of them still we see research coming out not hitting their requirements for carbohydrate intake, despite yeah. you know in preseason or when it's time to bulk, mm -hmm. you know, it's top of mind, and now they're eating frequently through the day. And all of a sudden you follow them throughout the course of a year and like anybody else, they get tired, they get fatigued and now meal frequency drops and all of a sudden we're not hitting some of those totals. Oh, interesting. Or because the, the you know, the, the complex carbohydrates in the diet aren't where they need to be. All of a sudden it's 11 PM and the bag of Oreos comes out and now we're getting these sugar, sugar cravings, right? And it's, you see with basketball players all the time as well. It's just, you haven't fueled appropriately. And now, you know, the brain is looking to balance those scales and just decides, Hey, we need to get some, you know, you need to get some fuel on board and that's when you get a lot of the sugary cravings yeah. and whatnot. So, you know, with, with players, that's one thing to think about with, with American football players. And then I think the other thing is it's a great sport to prove that you can outrun a bad diet. Like you see it all the time, right? Like you often say you can't outrun a bad diet. Well, I think you can because you see a lot of <laughs> football players at the highest level that look great during their career yep. and then struggle to eat differently when they're finished. That's and, a big one, yeah. And start to put on weight and start to put on abdominal adiposity, right? So around the midsection, that belly fat, the white adipose, which is more pro-inflammatory. Um, and now we're going to see issues with vascular health and blood pressure and now increasing things like cardiovascular disease risk. And so this is where it becomes, you know, a, a moment, a chance to, to be able to coach and teach. And I think sometimes even when we look at supporting professional athletes, we sometimes forget that even like the support staff is part of that performance umbrella like how are we how are the coaches fueling right i mean you look at some of the coaches in the nfl i mean huge for long-term health but even for decision making i mean if, if if their blood sugars are going up and down like crazy all the time i mean you know nba coach in the fourth quarter or college coach in nfl i mean those things impact and so yeah, you know, I, think I think that's one where yeah having some and some teams do it better than others and there's definitely a, a big need because we know that you know, disease risks are high and, and especially with Lyman uh, post-career. And I think that's an opportunity where things like a CGM can be nice. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to use on an individual level because you're, you know, I'm sure you guys are using like he, the athlete gets the feedback. Yeah. So rather than the practitioner having to drive the conversation and wag the finger and did you do this or have you eaten that, you know, you, you start to turn that conversation on its head a little bit. And now the athlete's saying, well, Hey, you know, how come this went up here or, 
you know, I, I ate this and this happened. And all of a sudden they're asking the questions, which is, yeah. which is ultimately where we want it to be, right? We want them to be driving the conversation. We want to have that, yeah. you know, internal motivation rather than always that external. Um, and so, you know, it can be useful for that, although you can't, you know, there's no one tool that's going to be, there's still noise and CGM readings and everything else. And so you, you've got to be able to still look at all the pieces of the puzzle and say, Hey, what is all this information between your blood labs and subjective wellness and performance metrics? What is all that stuff telling me? Yep. Makes sense. Gotcha. Now, one thing I was super curious about, and I've, I've read about it before and I still am, am just curious about the, the methodology, but you talked a lot about the non-traditional fueling methods that people are, are, choosing now that they're looking into like the train low sleep low and yeah for sure can you explain that like what it is how it works for for everyone yeah i think the easiest way to kind of explain it is like if you imagine a, a glass of water so uh, you know your glycogen levels when they're topped up the glass of water will be full of course glycogen is the carbohydrate stores and we have them in our muscles and we also have them in our liver so you know when you go to bed at night you got to keep your heart pumping and the lungs ventilating and so we're using up that liver glycogen throughout that overnight fast. And so when you wake up in the morning, your liver glycogen, imagine that glass is empty, is low. And so what, you know, great sports scientists like um, Sam Impey that I talk about in the book and Rob Morton and these folks, um, they've been finding is that glycogen status acts as a training regulator. And so it actually starts to elicit a, a different adaptation. So that's a very mild form of train low would be fasted. You know, you, you haven't eaten all night, so your liver glycogen is low, but your muscle glycogen is still high, right? Mm -hmm. Now, a different version of that, which they call more like the sledgehammer, is, you know, the nighttime session. So you think like a CrossFit class on a, whatever, a Thursday night, you do an intense session, you're lifting and maybe some kind of, you know, water or circuit at the end. So you've depleted muscle glycogen. Now the meal you eat after that training session is proteins and fats and some veggies. So there's not a lot of carbohydrate. So you haven't replenished the muscle glycogen. Now you sleep all night. So now you've lost all the liver glycogen as well. Mm -hmm. So this is a really loud signal now to the brain to say, hey, we got to start you know, upregulating certain pathways that allow us to burn fat a little bit better because, hey, we're, you know, you imagine a car like a, you know, a car that's electric and, and, and gas powered. And it's like the dials have to be able to switch really well if you're going to yeah. be doing that. And so yep. that next morning when you go out for even like a, steady state run because you're in such a glycogen depleted state all these pathways start to light up and that's what they're finding now in a lot of the research done in endurance athletes and you see it now even used in like premiership soccer in terms of certain training sessions and so i think the biggest thing for our recreational clients is they still tend to think in like i'm going to be a low carb person all the time or i'm yeah. going to be a low fat person all the time it'd be a bit like you're going to do the same workout every day of the week you know yeah. and when it comes to exercise it's kind of obvious to everyone but when it comes to food it still feels strange to say well yeah you're going to have a low-fat diet here or a low-fat meal or a low-carb meal but that doesn't mean you need to fully commit to the whole group of low-fat or low-carb or whatever it is right we always feel like we need to wear the hat of that team that we're that yeah. diet team that we're supporting but it's just it's just a tool at the end of the yeah. day well and i guess my my thought there was would being having my glycogen stores depleted on my next workout, would that harm my workout performance? But it sounds like I'd be able to still eat a little bit or, or explain that for me. Yeah. I mean, this is the idea of like, 
what is it? Are you training or are you trying to compete for something? Is it a performance day or is it a training day? Because training is about adaptation, right? I mean, you yeah. lift something, you're trying to find a, a lift that you, you know, you ultimately you're going to fail at in order to, to adapt and grow stronger. And so it's the same idea with, with the idea of under fueling on purpose. Like we know you, sh you need more fuel for this session and you might do better in this session with more fuel, but we're going to purposely restrict it. And that's going to create some of these adaptations that down the road are going to make you stronger. And this is interesting because even from a hydration standpoint, like there's a lot of research now showing that, you know, being dehydrated sometimes is not a bad thing, right? It elicits kind of the same. You just think of it like stressors. Yeah. You know, we always walk around trying to make sure everything is always homeost homeostatic all the time. It's like, wait a minute, are we, are we doing anything? Are we lifting anything? And so yeah. it's just a, it's just a way in nutrition to kind of elicit what you would do naturally in terms of, uh, you know, strength training or, or when you're lifting. And that's a really interesting thing because it kind of reminds me, and I mean, obviously the verbiage is similar too, but like train low, train low and high for like altitude, it's the same way, right? We, we play yeah. around with altitude, try like, especially in MMA, they play around with certain things. You're going to train at high altitude. You're not going to be able to perform at as high of a level because you don't have as much oxygen, but you're dr driving that mitochondrial demand. So, and, but oh, then other sure. one, yep. So it sounds you like come back from altitude, really, you got more red blood cells and yeah. now you're running for days, right? So exactly. it's, it's a similar kind of thing of like, anytime we yeah. look at these mechanisms, how do we stress the system a little bit, but not so much. And this is the problem you run into with the athlete that might be, I don't know, low carb or keto all the time right. that then wants to really push hard in terms of that fifth gear, heavy glycolytic work. And then all of a sudden, you know, at some point those things don't, marry up so well you're going to be yeah. more strategic with um with how you do it yeah it sounds like you just have to match it to the intent of what you're doing that day which is which is as for everything so yeah interesting yeah, and as, as you do you know following you know over the course of a month is this person tracking you know as you guys would do is this person tracking how we think they should be tracking it's i think sometimes our clients just think that it should be a you know, it's, it's a straight line from, from getting stronger here to here. It's a straight line. Or if I'm losing weight, I'm going from here to there. And it's just going to be really neat and tidy. Yeah. But it's going to be messy along the way. And the messy bits when you're stuck is where you're going to learn the most. It just sucks when it's happening, but you, yeah. you got to dig in. And whether it's from a nutrition standpoint on my end or from a training standpoint, that's where actually the, you know, you really uncover those, those, those key things that are going to really help you down the road. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. I want to jump back to athlete immunity because you talked a little bit yep. about um, the microbiome and and immunity. And obviously, it was interesting because you were talking about cold and flu really being a derailer. And now, interestingly enough, we're in the times of COVID-19. We've got NFL yeah. players that are really trying to avoid that. Or if they get it, they need to go through it very quickly to get back on the field. I'm interested in, in some of the ways that you think that are, are the best ways to build your immune system and things that athletes can do to get get that uh that system improved yeah i mean not to make light obviously the worldwide pandemic but it's funny we've been trying to get athletes to wash their hands for years and years and years and years and now now everyone's listening yeah. um yeah washing your hands is the single best way from just colds and flus and whatnot to to prevent a lot of this stuff right and so that's that's job one and obviously now with covid you know masks preventing the spread right because to get yep. sick you got to remember you need two things right you got to be exposed to the pathogen but then you also have to be immune compromised mm -hmm. and so that's where the immune system you know it, it's got a certain threshold that it operates that we can't really boost it higher than that but what happens is if we don't sleep well or we you know we're in an intense training block we're not eating as well then the immune system can start to become compromised right so our defenses aren't as aren't as robust and that's your innate immune system right that's mm -hmm. the first line of defense that's going to be able to protect you against you know these bugs and so you know, what do we do to, to support that? Well, 
we tend to always gravitate to the first thing is like the the micronutrients, right? You ask somebody about immunity, it's like vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc. Yeah. Uh, and those are all important, don't get me wrong. But but if you're dealing with an athlete or a busy person who's training a lot, like their energy intake is a huge part of the whole story, right? If you're in a big caloric deficit, that's a bigger signal than these other things are. And so if you're really pushing hard with your training and you're not sleeping a lot and you're not eating enough, that in and of itself is gonna be a major stressor. Yeah. You know, so carbohydrate intake is another one. Dr. Michael Gleason, Loughborough University, I mean, done a lot of work around. And so again, does it mean the athlete has to be, if they're low carb, has to become a high carb person? No, but let's try to figure out where those really hard sessions or days are, or maybe it's even blocks, right? When we're dealing with one, two, three weeks, and we're going to start to ramp up that intake, right? For that individual, because we know that carbohydrates and protein as well are going to be important to, for immunity. And, you know, from there you get into your things like your vitamin D and things like vitamin C that you can use prophylactically and, and so on to help, uh, to help athletes. Cause especially in yeah, I mean, a sport like American football with, with, with COVID, I mean, it's tough to play American football and maintain social distance, right? It's, <laughs> it doesn't really yeah. work. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. No. And, and that's, that's super interesting. And I loved also how you got into the, the recovery monitoring, monitoring of it all. And, you know, I actually recently got a, a whoop in, been nice, trying to nice. track my HRV, <laughs> but I want, I wanted to get your opinion and, and just have you explain, like, how do you use HRV? What is it? Like, explain that for people. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, the tools are fantastic these days, what we can get our hands on. And, you know, when you talk to experts like uh, Dr. Andrew Flatt, who does loads of, you know, just tons of work in HRV and around sprinters and American football players, you know, and, and these experts will tell you, and, and I'll circle back and define it here in a minute, but they'll tell you, you got to collect a lot of data first before you start jumping around. Hey, what's going on here? I'm at 20 today. I'm at 80 tomorrow, you know, before we start making all these inferences, but heart rate variability is interesting because we think of, well, imagine you had a heart rate of 60 beats per minute. So a beat every minute. We often don't think of between each beat, there is a certain amount of change or variability. So that's what HRV is measuring, right? These variability between beats. And so generally when that variability is higher, it means that we're more sort of rested or resilient, if you will. And if it's lower, then we're going to be more fatigued or lacking sleep or these types of things. Now, this is where you don't want to get too binary because if you're just on an intense training block, we would expect it to be lower. You know, this is where you got to always take context into consideration. Um, but it is a nice tool to be able to give a general sense. Um, it does lend itself better to aerobic type sports because it has a direct you know, because we're dealing with the heart, it's telling us a lot more about what's going on with that aerobic system and mm -hmm. nervous system versus when you look at the research around like power lifters, you know, you got to be real careful with how you interpret HRV because it's not going to necessarily, you could still go out and, you know, PR and, and hit some pretty great numbers, even with a really shitty score. So, yeah, you know, again, one of these things where you can, it's nice to just generate a lot of data, you know, wear a band or a ring or whatever, and, and have, have it over a stretch of time. And, hopefully have a coach or somebody with you that's what you know guys like uh, dr flat would recommend to be able to help you know you don't want to leave your client kind of hanging out there on their own trying to make these decisions on what it means or doesn't mean because we know that just telling an athlete they're not recovering well makes them perform worse right so you don't want to add you don't want to be adding stressors for people that might kind of respond that way but yeah, yeah again a nice tool especially any tool that you can kind of passively collect 
a bit like a CGM, like the person doesn't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's always a nice way to be able to collect some data. Well, well, that was my thing with it is I liked it, but then I was like, some days I feel good and it's telling me like you're at this percentage. I'm like, now I don't know if I feel good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Well, I mean, that's blew me away. I was uh, Dr. Corey Peacock. He works with uh, Usman, the MMA uh, oh, yeah, champion. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's red all the time. Like if they just, you know, so you got, it's, it becomes relative to that person as well. Right. And so this is where it can become a bit of a soup for, you know, a, a really a motivated client who's trying to get an edge on things to not, you know, tend to go to the over interpretation stage. Whereas when you, you see when a lot of the teams or professionals are using it, they're really being cautious with how they, when they sort of interpret that. But for a lot of people, I think it's nice if you just notice that, you know, you went out and you had four or five pints and then the next day you woke up and then you felt tired and you say, geez, my heart rate was 20 beats more than it normally is <laughs> like, yeah. all night long. <laughs> you think, yeah. That's all right to do once in a while. But if you're doing that all the time, all of a sudden, you, you know, start you to actually science, you don't need a science yeah. background to be like that's probably not the best for me is it and so yeah. i think th those are good for people because it kind of nudges you in the way to say you know what okay i might only have a half pint tonight or i might only have a glass of wine or i might not have anything tonight or break it up a little bit more because ultimately if we can influence behaviors with some of these tools rather than making these strict definitions of this is good this is bad but changing okay you don't drink as many nights of the week or you drink a little bit less like those are things when you look you know you, you extrapolate out over months and years like now you're making some really big you know impact yeah and i think it's i think they're just cool as far as like like you said it gives you also an objective data and just like mm. um just like this the cgm it kind of drives athletes conversations because the the nfl pa yeah, the nfl pa was also paying for them at least last year they were paying for all nfl players to have one um yeah and then, so then when an nfl player stays up all night playing video games and wakes up in the morning and goes whoa why is my score so low then they start to realize that like okay sleep is being impacted or something's happening where i need to try to get this score up for my recovery and that's what i've seen it doing the most is kind of just driving those behaviors even if they're not as accurate which is you know which is fine yeah, as long as it drives absolutely. healthy behavior yeah yeah, highlight stuff, right? I mean, it's just like, uh, and you can start to integrate, you know, some quick subjective wellness questionnaire type stuff into the apps too. So you get a little bit of information that way. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's, let's change gears a little bit again, because this is an interesting topic because we, you know, we've come up with a lot of, uh, with NFL players and with soccer players as well. And, and you know, really any athletes who are in impact now, we're starting to look at brain health and, and things like that. Yeah. And in your book, you talk about brain health solutions. Can you run us through some of those brain health solutions for uh, for athletes? But yeah, I mean, we're in a tough spot at the moment, aren't we? Because athletes are getting bigger, stronger, and faster, but the brain's still the brain and it's, you know, still floating around and, you know, the collisions are increasing in terms of intensity. And, you, you know, you see it when you're over in Europe with rugby. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to live in London 20 years ago almost and watching rugby then to watching rugby now it's like a different sport right it looks more like American football now I mean the size of the guys the tackle the, the impact of the tackles yeah looks completely different to me and when I talk to people who are actually experts in rugby you know they they talk about the same things and, and there's a lot of issues around head trauma um, which of course in things like ice hockey you know we see a lot uh, American football even youth sports. I mean, when you look at the stats, I mean, young girls are the most likely to struggle with a with a you know mild traumatic brain injury. And so, you know, how can we support this? Well, 
yeah, that's that'd be great if I could answer that question. I mean, I'd be doing, I'd be making a little bit of money, I think. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, there's a there's a if we talk about women's, you know, health, youth, sports, there's a, there's a physical aspect. You know, that experts think that you know the musculature around the neck is a potential area that's leading to women being more prone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, in in terms of speaking to experts, was around. Um, you know, some female hormones are involved. Progesterone might be playing a role in, in women as well. Interesting. And so I think the biggest thing with for athletes these days is we see that, you know, the pre-post testing is is pretty much the, the best thing they have to be able to say if you're back to, to fitness. And, you know, if you do have an injury, brain injury, mild traumatic brain injury, concussion, you know, you, you really want to try to get past that 14-day mark because if you don't, you know, if you start getting another concussion within a couple of weeks, things get worse pretty quickly, right? And then yeah. we get into, you know, once you've had it over 30 days, we're talking post-concussion syndrome. And now you're, you know, you have people who three years later are still struggling with sleep issues and, you know, concentration issues. And so it can become a real, you know, a, a, a major problem. And so, yeah, you know, the, the research in this area is, is still really young. I mean, there's a lot of it's obviously done in animal models because, you know, you can't really be bashing people's head, heads around to do that in, in people. But you see yeah. some things around caloric restriction being potentially beneficial. I think the easiest no-brainer is creatine supplementation, which is obviously, you know, almost tragic, really, when you think that youth sports, you always get moms and dads that are worried about their kids, that creatine is this anabolic yeah. you know, substance. And yet it's actually, you know, supportive of, of cognitive health and, and helping to recover from concussive events so if you do have a kid who's playing you know hockey or women's soccer is a big one um you know any sport where you can have a fall i mean it's a pretty pretty good thing to be thinking about because the the safety profile is is second to none right i mean apart from caffeine i don't know if there's a supplement that's been more heavily studied over the last 30 years than creatine yeah 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 uh question on that that I've always wondered, you know, they always talk about creatine loading at first. Mm-hmm. Is that still required for the cognitive uh, benefits? Well, there's, I mean, there's speculation around if you do have an event, is there potential benefit from loading? And this is where you, it's interesting when you look at different systems, like when you look at a lot of the HIT um, research, you know, Dr. Martin Gabala's work at McMaster, HIT, you know, high intensity interval training, and it's that delta that change that really creates elicits a lot of the responses in the body. So, you know, from a similar standpoint, there could be an, there could be a beneficial effect with really rapidly increasing the the creatine levels. Um, But I mean, it's early days, but I think it's one that's, you know, with all these things, you're always looking at risk, risk benefit, you know, like what's the risk if I do something, because, you know, for a lot of supplements, mega dosing is not a good idea. You know, everyone thinks you tell, you tell an athlete, Hey, one's good for you. And they take four. You're like, no, 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 four is not better than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, need, yeah. you need one. Um, but for things like creatine, I mean, this is a potential area where if you did have an event, then maybe, you know, loading might provide a benefit. And if there's, yeah. if the risks are really low, then it, it becomes more of a compelling argument to say, Hey, why don't we, why don't we throw this in the mix? Whereas you look at a lot of the potential benefit of thing like, you know, ketone ester supplements and, Hey, maybe it's, maybe it does provide some benefit, but man, they're really expensive. And does it actually do anything? They don't really know yet. And so if you compare that to creatine, which is quite, you know, really, really cost effective, you know, and, and and the risk is low and that's where you start to think, okay, well, yeah, that could be a first place to go. But I think it's a really exciting space with the amount of research that's coming out. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some good stuff coming out and we know some doctors around us that are using hyperbarics for, yeah, for treatment for sure. of it. So it seems like there's some, some good, like less invasive, less expensive options for people, which is good. Cause then the access goes up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you just need a multi multi-pronged approach to be able to, to support it. Right. I mean, it's a lot yeah, of yeah. different uh, pathways involved. Yep, 100%. Of course. You know, one thing I, I really enjoyed that you included in the book, because we're always preaching it, is the the mindset side of things where, you know, for sure we all know, like you said, we all know kind of what to do for a, a general standpoint, but it's having that edge. And uh, I think obviously working with athletes, you you've seen that. Um, so we we just had some questions because you included a lot on uh self-compassion and how that's the key to performance can you explain explain how you came about that and and why that's important for athletes or anyone really well i mean there's definitely when it, when it comes to mindset I, I having been able to work with our tremendous sports psychologist at canada basketball dr peter jensen and getting a chance to 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 listen and learn from great sports psychologists across loads of different sports and you know including guys like michael gervais with the seahawks and out and your parts Yep. You know, these things that we train in terms of our physical bodies, right? It's like, all right, we're going to train, we're going to lift, we're going to run because it's just so easy to understand how that impacts us, right? It's, it's right there in front of us. Whereas when someone says to you, like, we're going to train positivity, <laughs> yeah. like it, it sounds kind of hokey, right? Like, what do you mean we're going to train positivity? Yeah. Um, but then you start to look into things and you say, well, you know, you're working long hours in the week. Now all of a sudden, you know, the way that your brain communicates to itself starts to shift and you're, you know, the brain is more on, on, on threat mode. Um, things like negative thinking start to ramp up as sleep time goes down. And we know that in general, when, when we're, you know, when our mind's wandering, it's wandering about stuff about us. Right. Yeah. And so we have this predisposition to be thinking about us and thinking about negative things. And this is interesting because now even with, you know, sports and leagues like the NBA, you know, we've got, young athletes who are making it to the NBA for the first time, lifelong goal, right? Should be the greatest years of their life when they're first starting out. And what's one of the major concerns at the moment in the NBA is, is low mood depression and anxiety in young players, mm -hmm. which doesn't seem, you know, to the outside world that would kind of seem the opposite, right? You think, geez, you're, you're, you've become a millionaire, you've made it, you've achieved your, um, so I think this is where there's, I mean, again, it's multifaceted. I think some of it is around this idea of, you know, changing our inner monologue. And so, you know, that positive training, positivity, um, being able to build in some mindfulness to be able to focus our attention because, you know, especially today, you talk about absence of attention as the new currency, right? I mean, it's tough to, Oh yeah. The clips just keep getting shorter and <laughs> yep. the animations on social media, it's just like, it's overwhelming. And so all that stuff starts to play in and then you talk about self-compassion. I think that's where, you know, we, we all maybe we don't, we don't realize that we tie things in so closely together. You know, we tie our success in with how we feel about ourselves. Um, and so there's a great quote by, I think it was Michael Gervais talking about, you know, you can fail and not be a failure. Yeah. But the internal monologue is often telling people when they do fail that I'm a failure, right? Mm -hmm. Especially clients, you know, if you talk about weight loss, that's sort of the classic it's like, no, 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 you tried a strategy. That strategy maybe plateaued or didn't work, but it's giving us information. It's giving us things that we can then use to, to, 
to build the next strategy. But being human, you know, when things don't go our way, you, we, negative self-talk, and again, as stress goes up and, and lack of sleep occurs, and these things amplify. And so I think this is where, you know, we see with mobile phone use and social media that we're, you know, we're getting less sleep and we're also hooked to our devices. And so everything around mindset now is really front and center, right? And, and, you, and you see it everywhere. And like I mentioned, you see it in professional sports and other places, but in our world, when you work in sport, you just, it just seems like a, a real um, irony that, that you can make it to where your lifelong goal has been. And yet the happiness isn't there. So, you know, so what, you know, where do we need to go? What's that telling us about, about where some of the things we need to focus on? Yeah, I think that's so important because really the mindset for us, and that's what we talk about, it underlies everything, you know, your effort with your nutrition, your effort with your workouts, your ability to be creative, your, you know, your performance, your ability to bounce back and things like that. So yeah, we we love the uh, the uh, mindset piece. We've interviewed Trevor Moad here on our podcast, oh, cool. who's doing some cool work in, in neutral thinking and, and all that stuff. So we're a big, uh, big promoter of the mindset piece. And it's one um, of those ones where you got to just chip away at it every day. I think that's the thing that we all, you know, clients tend to want to think maybe we're going to find this one magical solution. That's going to be the one thing that I'm going to do. And it's just going to fix everything. It's, it's no, it's just like you're lifting. Like you just got to show up every day. Yep. You got to do it and you got to do a little bit more the next day and you got to just be consistent. And I always feel like, you know, in the book, we talk about whether it's training or nutrition. I mean, consistency is the best predictor of success, right? It's like, did you show up today? Hey, if you did pat yourself on the back, you're moving towards the mountain, right? Not away from it. And that's ultimately the goal. Exactly. And it's something you can practice on those off days. It's not going to physically exert you. So it's something that you can do every day and get better. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. Rest day, homework. There you go. Uh So we appreciate you uh, being on. Just want to congratulate you for having a a bestseller on Amazon Audible. It's an incredible book. We recommend that all of our clients get it. All of the trainers who follow us, we've recommended it. We've got our new hire uh, trainer. She's read it. So um, just a ton of information in there. Um, And and so we love what you're doing. We appreciate it. Where can people reach out to you or find you, get more information for you besides your book? Yeah, I mean, uh, I got a f- funny last name. So uh, at Dr. Bubs on social media, you find me pretty quick on Instagram, yep. Twitter, and, and drbubs.com is, is the website. And if people are interested more in performance nutrition, we're launching some continuing education courses um, awesome. coming up around around sport and, and, and some of these themes. And so athleteevolution.org is, is the website to start to, uh, that'll start to prop up around the uh, fall time, but they can check that out as well. Awesome. We'll link all that up in the show notes and then we'll definitely be checking out the uh, (laughs) the continuing education when it pops up. So we'll keep on the lookout for that. Again, we appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, taking time from London. Awesome, fellas. Appreciate it. Have a good one. What is up, guys? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you liked it, please rate review and share it out to some of your family and friends. If you're interested in working with us, head over to highdefseattle.com and click on request an appointment. We also have our beginner programs available under the programming tab of that website. And if you just want to get a little bit more information on what we do as a company, you can head over to highdefmethod.com and download our free ebook resource.